Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 64 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network. I am back in New York after that long Midwest road trip. We are five days away from the NHL trade deadline. And quickly, before I forget like I did last week, our guest this week is going to be one of my buddies from The Beat, Many of you guys know him, another guy who covers the Rangers, does it for Newsday, Colin Stevenson. Had Colin on the show this week because I thought it would be kind of fun to have somebody who could bring a little bit of a different perspective from mine on what's going on with the Rangers and what their strengths and weaknesses are and needs heading into this trade deadline. Obviously, Colin sees everything that I do. He's one of the few people that's around the team just about as much as I am. And so I thought it would be kind of cool instead of you guys sort of having me repeat some of my trade deadline theories and and, and all that kind of stuff to maybe get somebody who thinks about things a little bit differently. Because I can tell you from traveling with him and being with him almost every day that Colin and I don't always see eye to eye on every Rangers decision. So that interview is coming up in a little while, a fun one for sure. We tell some stories from the road and, and things along those lines. So I really enjoyed having him on the show. But Colin actually was, I guess, sort of the, the lead note here. But there is some bigger news as far as the Rangers are concerned that actually came in right before I hit the record button. Honestly, I was just getting ready. I was in my seat in my little area in the house where where we record our podcast or where I record my podcast. My son's not doing his own yet. Give him a few years on that. But I was all set up here, just had the app open, the Audacity Audacity program on my computer, and and was just getting ready to hit record when I noticed my phone buzzing. It's like, I guess I'll I'll check what's going on. You know, it is trade deadline season. You, You do want to pay pretty close attention to your phone at this time of year. And it was a text from the Rangers saying, hey, we just made a deal. So we have our first trade. I don't think it will be the only, but the first trade of this 2022 deadline for the Rangers. They make a deal not with one of the teams that's outside of the playoff picture that we've talked about before, but actually with one of the best teams in the league in the Florida Panthers. And it was a move that I think some people feel like the Panthers might have made for, for a couple reasons. Number one, because this player, I think, had, with the depth of their lineup and how good their forwards are, this guy wasn't playing as prominent as a role of uh, as I think he would on a lot of other teams, Rangers included. And number two, it helps the Panthers clear a little bit of cap space. We know the Rangers have tons of that, so that, that was a non-issue for them. And so they're able to bring in Frank Vetrano, a forward who can play multiple positions from what I understand, has played left wing, has played a little bit of center, I think has been mostly at right wing of late, and I think that that is where the Rangers do intend to use him. But Vetrano comes in in exchange for a fourth-round pick. Now, the Rangers have two of those in this upcoming draft. 
They're only giving up the later of those two. So not a whole lot they had to give up to make this deal possible. They still have their first rounder. They still have both of their second rounders. They don't have anything in the third round, but they also have their earlier of the two fourth round picks, which will look likely be the pick that they got from Winnipeg. So it looks like the Rangers will be sending their own pick in the fourth round to Florida to get Vetrano. Now, I've been quickly before I started recording and I just wrote a quick story about him and got that up on loha.com slash sports slash Rangers, or we'll have all the trade deadline coverage coming up in the next few days. I did quickly do a little research, sent out a few texts to, to get a feel for this guy's game and what he can bring to the Rangers. And this is not a top six big impact move. Now, could he temporarily play in the top six for a little while until Capo Caco's back or until another move is made? That, that's a possibility. But I think ultimately Vetrano was brought here to play a bottom six role. And, and what he's going to bring to the bottom six are some of those elements that we've been talking about that the bottom six needs. Number one, he's going to bring a little bit of scoring punch. You look at this guy's last four seasons in the league, the previous three, he scored at least 16 goals in each season, including 24 a couple of years ago for the Panthers. This season, he's he's up to 10 goals. So he's a guy, I've heard he has a good shot, left-handed shot. He's a guy that will bring more offense than I think the vast majority of the players that the Rangers have been using in their bottom six. The only bottom six player who has more goals than him, as far as the Rangers are concerned this year, is Barclay Goudreau, and I think the feeling that I'm getting is that this guy has a little more skill and offense to his game than Goudreau does. Goudreau is just having a, a pretty good year in that regard, but we know Goudreau was brought here to do a lot of other things and defense and PK and forecheck and all that. Vetrano, also, from what I understand, from what I'm just hearing based on a couple text exchanges so far, he's an above-average skater. And we've talked about this before on the show, that the Rangers, if you look at them as a whole, they have lost a little team speed in recent years. And there's not a whole lot of guys that you look at and you say, that guy is a guy who can really put some pressure on the opposing defense with his speed. Vetrano, it sounds like skating is a strength. Now, I want to see it up close for an extended look before we draw any major conclusions on that. But that's that's what I'm hearing early on, that this guy can score a little bit. You know, he's not a he's not a Panarin or is a Benajad or a, a big time scorer like that, but he does have some scores touch. And the Rangers, we know, finishing has been an issue in their bottom six. And he's going to bring a little bit of speed. Doesn't sound like he's a PK guy or, or an excellent defender, although he does have pretty good defensive metrics. But it's a little skewed because if you look at the Panthers, pretty much every player on that team has really good metrics. Vetrano is like a, his, his expected goals for percentage is like a 53. His shot share is like a 56, but their, their whole team has really good numbers in that regard. So it could be skewed a little bit, but he does have good looking metrics when you look at that stuff. And I think he's a pretty clear upgrade, especially if we're thinking about that right wing spot on the third line above Julian Gauthier. This is probably not good news for Gauthier. He had already been pushed down in the lineup because Johnny Brodzinski has stepped up recently. And the third line that we've seen the last couple games, and the third line that I saw at practice on Tuesday, or I'm sorry, Wednesday, before this deal was announced, was Goudreau at left wing, Philip Hedl at center, and Johnny Brodzinski at right wing. So my expectation 
is that Vetrano will probably slot in somewhere on that third line. I don't know for sure if he's going to play on Thursday night against the Islanders. Obviously, he didn't get a chance to practice with the team on Wednesday. They do not have a morning skate scheduled for Thursday. So it might be asking a lot to have him just step into the lineup without having any time on the ice with the team. They could do a little impromptu morning skate with you know, a select few guys on Thursday before the game against the Islanders. They do have that option. But it wouldn't shock me if they hold off, let him get a practice on Friday, and then put him into the lineup over the weekend when they travel to Tampa and then Carolina. They've got back-to-backs this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. But Vetrano looks to me to be a, a pretty solid move, a very low-risk move, because the Rangers are only giving up a fourth-round pick to get him. And, you know, based on what I'm initially hearing, and you can go and look up at the numbers yourself, it does look like he should be at least a slight upgrade from what the Rangers have been using in that third line so far this season. So I, I think this is this is the sort of move that we were looking for the Rangers to make when we talked about the possibility of what they could do at the trade deadline. We've always said a forward or two. So I think that Vetrano sort of represents maybe the two, if you follow what I'm saying. I do believe that there's a very good chance that there's another shoe to drop here. Vetrano is an expiring contract. He looks like a pure rental. He's owed a little over $2.5 million this season, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. So unlikely, it's early, obviously, to, to conclude this for sure, but it's unlikely that he will remain on the team beyond this season. So the Rangers still have all the flexibility that you would want them to have coming out of a move like this. And according to Cap Friendly, they still have over $29 million in projected cap space by the time the deadline hits. So they can still do pretty much whatever they want. And they did not give up really, not even prime assets. They didn't give up any B-level assets to get this guy. Again, they still have all those picks that we talked about, the first rounder, the two second rounders, the earlier fourth rounder. And they did not touch anybody from their prospect pool. So I believe that they are still strongly looking into another potential deal before the deadline hits on Monday. I think ideally for them, that's going to be another forward. And what I've been telling you guys for months now and what is still seems to be the case They've got a lot of balls in the air. They are exploring a lot of different things. And this obviously was one of them. This one was a little more under the radar because I think everybody's expecting that ultimately they're going to make a trade with one of those non-playoff teams that we've discussed at length. But this was a deal where they were able to do the Panthers a favor by clearing some salary. And it gives the Rangers the player that they think will give them a little more of a boost in their bottom six. But I still really believe that another shoe is going to drop here. Now, the the disclaimer is that Chris Drury has shown us, as we saw over the summer, that he will draw a hard line in negotiations. So I don't expect him to part with some of his grade A level assets if it's not a player that he's absolutely in love with. And I do think that a lot of the players they're looking at, while they might be a little more high name recognition than Vetrano, the chances of a Tomas Hurdle, it's out there, but it's not necessarily the likelihood at this point. They would have to surrender a lot to get a player of that caliber. 
So I think the jury is going to draw his lines, but I also think that they very much would like to add another forward, and they still have all of the assets to do that. Now, we're going to get into some of this stuff with Colin, and we're going to get into some of this stuff when I take your Twitter questions, but I've been telling you guys repeatedly that forward remains the priority, and to me, I believe that it would be a mistake to surrender a top prospect or their first-round draft pick or something like that to get a defenseman. I just don't think that that's been their focus, and, and I think that's with good reason. I, I think that when you look at their decor right now, they're overloaded with prospects. Their top six has been pretty much set for the last few weeks, and I don't think that you want to give up big-time stuff to go get a top-end defenseman when you know you're probably not touching your top four. And, and I don't see the point, really, of getting a marginal veteran defenseman when you already kind of have that in Patrick Nemeth, and then that's just another guy who's going to be blocking some of these prospects from playing. So that's a question Colin and I address a little bit. And interestingly, Colin and I, our conversation, which you'll hear in a minute, happened just before this trade went down. So we don't talk about Vetrano at all in, in that interview. But to me, I think the Rangers are very much still looking to be active in these next few days. And so I would not go assuming that it's going to be Vetrano and nothing else. It could be, but if I was a betting man, I would bet that that's not the way that it's going to be. And that's certainly not not what I've been hearing or the sense that I've been getting. I, I think that they're hunkering down right now and that they are still looking to improve this roster very much. And I think it absolutely starts up front, not on the blue line. With that said, quickly, there have been some games played. We haven't talked about those at all. We just got back from this road trip, and and the road trip got rocky. There was a couple games in there, specifically Minnesota and St. Louis, where the Rangers did not play well, and Gerard Gallant was as displeased with their effort as I have seen him at any other point in his first 60 games as the Rangers coach, specifically after that game in St. Louis. They lost that one 6-2, Igor had to get pulled during that game because the defense was so bad in front of him. He did not have a good game. It was definitely, he had a couple games on the trip that were definitely lesser performances than what we've been accustomed to from him. But at the same time, the defense was just bleeding breakaways and high-level scoring chances left and right. Gallant, after the game, he called his own team soft, which to a hockey player is like a major insult. And he said that they should be embarrassed by their efforts. So really stood out to me the way that he called his team out after that game in St. Louis. But to their credit, they responded in Dallas. They went down 2 to nothing in that game. You're thinking, here we go again. You're wondering what the post-game press conference is going to be like if they get blown out again. But they rallied in that game. And they came back and they won decisively 7-4. to Put up a lot of offense in that game. Tightened up the defense as the game wore on. End up coming home with what... what Dryden Hunt called a must win, which which is a pretty big statement from a player on a team that's cruising toward the playoffs right now. But I think that they could feel internally in that locker room like, hey, our coach is not happy with our effort. We're not happy with our effort. We don't want to let this snowball. And again, this team, every time they're down a little bit, and there have been these little moments of adversity, they don't stay there for long. They, They bounce back. And that is a quality about this team. That is a trait that we've seen with this team that I don't think you can discount. You can't measure it with stats, except if you want to point out that they haven't had a losing streak in regulation of more than two games in a row, which is pretty impressive. 
But it's hard to quantify with stats. But when you're around the team all the time and you watch this team all the time, which I know many of you do, you see it, this resiliency, this bounce back. And they they beat Dallas on Saturday to end the road trip on a high note. And then they came back on Tuesday and beat the Anaheim Ducks in overtime. So here we are, two-game winning streak. They made a trade, a guy that they think can help them right away. And there could be another trade coming in, in a matter of days. So that, I think, is also going to give this team a boost. It's really sending the message from Drury on down that, that we believe in you guys and we want to help you guys give you the best chance to have success in the playoffs as possible. So we'll see what happens. Might not be the splashiest of moves. Might be splashy. Who knows? But I, I do really believe that they're going to make a push to make something else happen here in the coming days. We'll talk about that more in our Twitter questions, and you'll hear some of it with Colin as well. So let's get to that interview right now, and then I'll be back later. Now let's welcome back into the show for the second time. And Colin, actually, I just I just looked at this. I, I the last time that I had you on was a year ago to the day, March sixteenth. Get out of here, tw- March sixteenth, twenty twenty one. Which <laughs> I, I, I can't believe it, but it's funny enough. Here we are, March sixteenth, twenty twenty two. Colin Stevenson, another one of the Rangers beat reporters from Newsday. So Colin and I spend a lot of time together. So. We're going to kind of see how this goes. I don't know what we're going to talk about. We didn't really plan anything, but we were talking today and I thought it'd be fun to have him on. And I, I one of the things that I thought would be fun about it is, you know, you guys have heard my perspective on what's going on with the team, what they might try to do at the trade deadline, what their needs are. But I thought maybe let's get another voice who sees the team just as much as I do and, and get him on here to talk about the show and see if maybe we have some different opinions. So Colin Stevenson from Newsday. Colin, what's up? I just left you like probably less than an hour ago. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Uh, it's cool though. We do spend a lot of time together, and and we have a good time. We eat a lot. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Vince is something of a foodie. Uh, it's it's crazy. Like you know, the hotel meal is never enough for him. The the media meal is never enough for him. We gotta we gotta search out all these uh, restaurants. Go traveling halfway across town. Well, we had ramen the other night. Where was that? In uh, St. Louis. In St. Louis, you you made a big mistake in St. Louis, not coming with me to Pappy's for barbecue. Yeah, you know what? I had my heart set, quite frankly, on this other place that that was uh, that that uh, that smoke place. Was it uh, Salt and Smoke? Yeah, Salt, salt and smoke. smoke. Yeah, I, I saw it, and we were walking by, and I'm like, okay, I want to try that because I've been to Pappy's, and you know, it's it's great, it's great experience, and food's great, and everything. But I was looking for a little something different. I, I actually didn't get the Salt and Smoke, so we'll have to do that for next time. Well, we didn't go to Salt and Smoke that night because it was the night before Molly Walker from the post birthday, and that's really been. Like just to just to pull the curtain back for you guys, like that's been the main crew on the road this season for the you know, there's there's different people that come and go. But for the most part, the people who are, I think, around the team the most and do the most traveling are me, Colin and Molly. So we spend a lot of time together on the road and it was Molly's 25th birthday. I mentioned this on the podcast because I recorded last week right before we were going to go out. And the original plan was the barbecue place that Colin picked. But Molly liked the ramen idea. The funny part about that was. You know, she picked that that's where we were going to go. And I think she thought it, we all thought it was going to be like a sit down restaurant. Yeah so, Molly, place, yep. yeah. so Molly got a little, you know, got a little dressed up for the big birthday night out. And it was like <laughs> one of those places where you go up to the counter, they hand you a beer, you order, and then like you sit at like a, a picnic booth. So it was it was kind of funny when we showed up there and it was not at all what we expected. But the food was good. The food was really good. The food was really good. I was I was very pleased. Yeah. It worked out well. 
So that was so, funny. And then and then we went out for a couple of drinks and I think Molly had a pretty good birthday night considering she's spending it with, uh, you know, <laughs> just a couple of a couple, couple of dads, of, a couple of dads, you know, so uh, that was fun. But anyway, yeah, so we've had some fun trips. I mean, I'd say I'd say so far, maybe the I don't know. Would you have a most memorable trip so far this year? I guess the, the Vegas, California thing was cool. We drove Colin and I drove through. The yeah, desert. yeah, that was fun. That was fun. We drove through the desert. My first time I've done that. Have you done that drive before? I have done. Well, so not that particular drive. We drove Larry Brooks and I drove a couple of years ago from Phoenix to Vegas. Oh, how long is that? It's about the same four hours. Now, Uh the difference, the difference is um, I was like, oh, it's four hours. How bad could it be? And uh, and, um, you know, one of my buddies who actually lives in Arizona was telling me, dude, they have winter in Arizona. It's not like a whole desert thing. And like the, the drive that you and I took was from, from Vegas to, to Southern California. It was the, the weather was pretty good. It was, it wasn't really an issue. And there was nothing out there, folks. I mean, like it was just, uh, <laughs> it was, there was miles and miles of nothing. Sand um, and but, mountains. It, but yeah, which was not bad. I mean, you know, after a while, it's like, yeah, four hours of this is a, is a little much, you know, maybe a couple hours would have been good. Um, but no, we had, a, we had a good time. We had, uh, got to see a different part of the country. Uh, the, you know, the mountains were cool to look at and, you know, we solved a couple of the world's problems too, uh, you know, while we were at it. So that was good too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, that's, that, so that was memorable, but I, I, I do have a good time with the St. Louis thing. I mean, I think the ramen thing, like, as you said, not what we expected, but the food was great. And, uh, and then the, the bar later that night, uh, you know, it was really cool. It was like a rooftop bar and stuff. And I know Molly was pleased with that. So, you know, it was nice to see her, you know, have, have a good time. So yeah, that was pretty good. And, and, uh, you know, um, you went to Montreal the first time, didn't you? Yeah. So the, I was gonna say the beginning of the season, cause that was the first, we hadn't been on the road last season. Right. So the beginning of the season was exciting and we had some cool cities right off the bat. Like I know you and I both feel that Montreal is one of our favorites to visit. Nashville, definitely one of my favorite. Yeah, Nashville yeah. is definitely one of my favorites to visit. So we started the season with a couple of really good spots. So we had that great sushi in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was a good find by us. You got to remember to, we got to go there next time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So it's been cool being back out on the road. It's, it, it's not, you know, as you've heard me talk about before, it's not a hundred percent back to what it was for my first season on the beat before COVID. That was Colin's second season on the beat which is when we had full locker room access. And yeah. we all we're, we're dying for that. We miss that so much. It really changes the, the way that we do our jobs and the ability for us to tell different stories and, and pursue, pursue unique stories each day. But what we're doing now is definitely better. We are back in the rink every day. So we're able to actually witness practice in person again, which I, which I think is big. You know, we're back on the road and we are back to talking to the players in person. Now it's a podium setting. It's a group setting. It's much harder to have those one-on-one conversations right now, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. And we'll keep our fingers crossed and hope that next season is, is normal. And what we all, you know, what we experienced pre COVID. Yeah. I I was just thinking about this too. Like we we were talking about it before we left practice. And and, um, one of the things that really kind of bothers me a little bit and, and it's there's no way around it is you know you get two guys so for instance we have practice today and there's no morning skate tomorrow so we got to write you don't have to write I have to write a story for today and then I have to have stuff left over you know that I'm gonna have to write for my early story tomorrow 
I don't have early access. So, you know, you always kind of have to save something. You can't use everything, you know, and then the, and then you come off where, well, like, you know, say the postal, they might use something that I'm saving for tomorrow. So, you know, they're going to have it in the paper tomorrow and I'll have it in the paper the next day. So um, that's kind of the one, you know, not the one that's, that's one of the things that's, that's really, uh, you know, that, that, that I, that I really want to get back to inside the locker room where you can just talk to who you want to talk to, use what you want to use, and not have to save anything for the next day, you know? Yeah. That, and and, and everybody, everybody's not working off the same quotes. And it also, again, it really gives us the ability to sort of get to know the players better and tell unique stories about individual guys, as opposed to these group settings where I think everything is a little bit more rehearsed and, and everybody's hearing the same quotes and the same questions and we're all working off the same stuff. Uh, so again, I think if, for not just us you know, and the enjoyment of the job and being able to do the job to the best of our abilities, but also for you guys, for the readers, for the fans, for the listeners to, to be able to get as many different unique things and as much fresh content as possible. I, I think that will hopefully be in everybody's best interest. And again, we're really, really hoping we return to that next season. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about that. I think, the, <laughs> I think the Rangers really are enjoying this uh, this period where they control who we talk to though i mean uh, so i'm i'm a little skeptical i i guess if the league you know what i think uh, the league certainly will reopen locker rooms at some point because i think the league wants that so we'll have that I, I really hope it's a uniform thing and they don't leave it up to indi- individual teams because that's just a slippery slope, you know? And I honestly, I bet you certain people you talk to at different teams don't want that either because they don't want the onus on them. Like, just make it across the board. It's back open. You know, we'll, we'll, I'll happily mar- wear a mask in there if you want me to. I have oh, no, yeah, I, I take I take no issue with that. You know, we're all vaccinated. We wouldn't even be in there if we weren't vaccinated. So I, I think, and we've reached a point where, you know, you look at the infection rates. I don't want to get into all the COVID stuff, but it, no, it no, is, no. it's, it, it's, much safer now than it was you know when we were at the height of this thing so anyway let, let's talk some rangers let's talk some hockey yeah, because the trade deadline is five days away and it's different you know your first couple of years in the beat you were watching them sell off pieces we were, were talking selling about- people left and right man it was it was uh you know it was sad i remember uh i remember the year before you got on which i guess was 18 19 the, the big one you know zuccarello was gonna go we all knew that and uh, and Kevin Hayes was going to go and, and Kevin Hayes was having a great year and and he was a young guy. And, you know, I you know, I just couldn't understand, like, why wouldn't you keep this guy and, and try and build around this guy? But, you know, look, they, you know, they they did what they had to do and they and they traded him and they got back Brendan Lemieux. They got back a first round pick, which they then used to swap back to Winnipeg to get Jacob Truba. So, you know, I mean, it, it, it worked out, but. You know, yeah, it was it was a weird time. I remember talking to Hayes because again, this was locker room setting. You could you could be in there talking to guys, and I would talk to Hayes every day, and you would see the look in his eyes, like he would know it was coming, and and uh, you know, you know, you would try and joke around with him, and you know, at one point it got uncomfortable. Like you know, you know, one of the team people came to me and said, you know, listen, these guys they know they're leaving, so you know, we don't really want to make too much of a of a joke about it, you know, they're not happy about it. So let's not joke about it, but yeah. So, so that, you know, you, you really got to see the, the, um, the awkwardness of, of that situation when, when you knew guys were leaving. Now it's a completely different thing as you, as you, as you bring up, you know, now they're, they're looking to be bringing guys in. You still might have to, to lose a guy or whatever, but the core pieces are staying and then they're, they're going to try and add to the core, which is a completely, completely different animal. 
Yeah. I, you know, my first season, there was rumors about Kreider. Like everybody was yeah. wondering what was going to happen to him because he had that expiring contract and the Rangers were in this middle ground. They were, they started off slow. They were surging in the second half of the season. Right. And even though it was, it was, he probably, was surging, right. He was, he, he was hot. Yeah. He, he got really hot. Basically the, the way that he's been all year this season. But at the time, you you sort of weren't sure what they were going to do because they weren't really in full rebuild mode anymore. But they also right. were, were probably not going to make the playoffs. And and so they ended up deciding to keep him. They signed a new extension. And uh, since then, now they've been. And they kept been, Jesper Fast as well. And they kept Remember? Jesper Fast as well. Yep. Yep. And uh, they did trade Brady Shea at that de- at that deadline. But a different feel from where they're at now, because now everybody anticipates they're going to add. And so I guess that leads me to a question that I want to ask you, because I think the audience for this particular podcast where they hear me every week knows how I feel when you evaluate this team and and having watched them every game and been around them all season, what to you stands out as like, if you could get a piece that does this or fits here, what what is it? I don't think I'm too different from, from you guys. We talk about it all the time. They need, they need a right wing with a little bit of size, some speed, and and who can finish. And that guy is either going to play on the second line or he's going to play on the third line. Um, you know, you could make the argument that they could get two of those guys, one for the second line, one for the third line. I think if, you know, Capo Caco has been out for, I don't even know how long at this point, but, but uh, he's going to come back at some point. And I think he can probably plug one of those spots. So you need a guy to fill the other spot. I mean, you know, Dryden Hunt's a good guy. We love him. He talked, he gave us a great quote the other night about how, how that Dallas game was a must win. I mean, and, you know, it was the most excited I've been about a quote in a long, long time. But, you know, you'd like a guy who could score 10 or 15 goals in that spot. Um, you know who you'd like, <laughs> you know, who would make a lot of sense. I've been thinking about this is Colin Blackwell, who's on an expiring deal in Seattle. Like how much would that guy cost? He fit pretty well with them last year, right? I mean, you go get that guy. I mean, you plug him right in, and, and he can get you those 10 goals that Dryden Hunt doesn't seem to be able to get. Um, but there are other guys. I mean, there are bigger names that that, that we've talked about. And, and uh, you know, I was disappointed not to be able to see uh, Ricardo Raquel last night, um, you know, with, with the Ducks, because obviously that that's the name right now, I think, that most people would think is the number one name, right? I mean, you know, we went through the JT Miller phase, which – you know, I, I never knew what to, quite to make of that, but, but the Raquel thing seems, seems like a real possibility. And I, and I, and I really would have wished to, I, I wanted to have seen him last night. Unfortunately, we didn't get to. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, I definitely think he's an option. I, I still, it, it, the, the impression that I've been getting all along and still down to the wire, this is still what it seems like is they got a lot of balls in the air and I think it's going to come down to the wire. I know like fans have been clamoring for them to make a move for a yeah. month, for a month or two yeah. now, yeah. but these things always, the, the way that it almost always works is it comes down to the deadline. It comes down to the wire and then you're going to weigh all your options in that fight in those final moments and, and make a decision. But I, I'm fully on board with you that forward is the way to go. And I, I, I think you need, you need at least one. And, you know, I get the argument from some people that you don't want to unload your prime assets for a rental, but at the same time, and, and I agree with that. I, I don't think they're going to trade Brennan Offman or Braden Schneider. No, no, or, no, no, or, no, yeah, no yeah, yeah, I don't think they're. I don't think they're looking to trade those guys. But this team is definitely going to the playoffs. This team has had the best goalie in the world all year. This team, I think, 
has earned. And I, I said this to Ryan Lindgren today. And of course he gave me, you know, the kind of standard, we're just worried about who's here and what we're doing to kind of answer. But I do think that they deserve to be rewarded by fortifying this roster with at least one forward who can help with the depth scoring. Although listen, your boy, Johnny be good. <laughs> you know, we should, I want to, I want to give Colin proper yeah. credit for this. Cause I've seen some people, you know, myself included, we've been calling him Johnny be good. Now that he's back up on the team and he's carved out a, a role, but Colin was calling him Johnny be good. Like before he even stepped foot on the ice last season, when his first season with the team. So Colin, you get credit for the Johnny be good nickname, but you know, it, it's interesting because that line now we've been talking a lot about, you know, Philip Heedle needs better line mates. Yeah. It's, it's hard yeah. to judge him with these guys that he's been playing with. Julian Gauthier has just not been getting it done. I think like three goals in 45 or 46 games, something like that. And it's just been a revolving door on that line around him all season. The last couple games with Goudreau on the left and Brodzinski on the right, I don't think that's the long-term solution. I think you definitely want to upgrade that, but your boy, Johnny B he's, he's been, he's been playing pretty well. He's, he's holding down that spot better than most have this season. So, so my thought on Johnny B and, and, you know, you saw, I was, I was trying to ask him this and, you know, he was given the politically correct answer is, has this guy made the team now? Because I don't, you know, look, I mean, when you sign a guy like that, you sign him to play, you know, 90% he's going to be in the minor leagues. Um, and, and he's going to come up if somebody gets hurt and you need, you need somebody to fill in. Um, so, and he knows that he knows that when he signs, right. They probably, they, they're straight with him when they tell him that. Um, but I don't, I don't, you know, he didn't really get a look in training camp, you know, because, uh, yes, they had training camp for a while. They played some preseason games and stuff, but he was always ticketed to go to Hartford. Right. I mean, and they were, they were looking at Kraftsoff and they were looking at, uh, actually Gautier got a look, which surprised us all that he made the team. Right. But Brodzinski was never going to get a real look. Right. And so now he comes up and now he's getting a look and, and guess what? It's like, it's like you, you asked, uh, you, you know, you, you asked Gallant uh, today about, uh, you know, what, what's he looking for when guys come up that he doesn't really know too much about, you know, and, and he, you said something about, uh, did they catch your eye? And he jumped on it. He goes, yes, you have to catch my eye. And obviously this guy has caught Gallant's eye. And I think he's just gotten better and better and better. I mean, like, uh, you know, the, the, the penalty killing thing now, you know, Greg, uh, you know, Greg McKegg was, was supposed to play uh, kill penalties with Goudreau. Um, and then he got, you know, whatever, he got sick the one day and then he didn't go on the trip for the first three games and, and he plugged Brodzinski into that spot. And now McKegg's back and Brodzinski still staying in that spot. So obviously he likes him there. He just likes this guy. And, and I think, you know, I, I think he should stay Rodzinski, right? Like, I think what's going to happen is after the trade deadline, there's no more 23 man roster anyway. So, but I think if you had to send somebody now, now it would have to be Morgan Barron, right? I mean, it wouldn't be Brodzinski. I mean, when's the last time Barron played? I think it's like five or six games that he, that he hasn't played. So I think Brodzinski has really kind of carved, carved a niche for himself and really kind of caught the coach's eye. And, and, uh, and I, I think that's a good point that you make too about him and Goudreau, maybe fitting with Heedle and, and Heedle looking a lot better with those two guys than he has almost with, with anyone else. I mean, he's played with Goudreau before uh, he's played with Lafreniere. He's played with Gauthier. He played early on in the season with Sammy Blay, but you know, he looked pretty good last night with these in between these two guys and then, and then, and the game before. Yeah. Yeah. I, Brodzinski to me. So 
let's hypothetically say they acquire one forward. We anticipate, I think, a minimum of one. It could be two, but let's could say they two. let's say they acquire one, and you get Kako back. And so the, your top nine, then you, your your top your first line is what it is with Lafreniere up with with Mika and Kreider. Your second line, Panarin, Strom. Let's just say Kako. And then right. your and then your third line is new guy, Heedle. And then, you know, it could be Gaudreau. I think he would probably be the favorite. But if you they've also liked the look with Gaudreau on that fourth line. And right. so if Brodzinski continues to play well, and we know that Gallant, we've seen this. When when a guy earns his trust, Gallant goes to bat for him and he keeps him in yes. the lineup. He is yes. You could say whatever you want about this coach, but he 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 goes to bat for his guys. We've seen it with McKeg time and time again. Yes. Fan, fans keep saying, why is McKeg in there? Why is McKeg in there? Well, Gallant loves McKeg. That's why he's in there. And so could could Brodzinski or Gaudreau fill one of those third line spots? The other one drops to the fourth line and then they play with Rooney and Reeves. I mean, right. it would, that to me kind of looks like what I could see what I could see the lineup being yeah. post the break. Now, if they acquire two forwards, that that wouldn't bode right, as right. well for your boy Johnny B. But I think that. But then Dryden Hunt's another question. You know, you mix him in on the fourth line. It, it would be good to have those options because right now it feels like their options are limited, and the bottom six just hasn't had much punch to it in in the last few weeks. But but this is I, I think how we're all kind of seeing this play out at the moment. Now, what do you you think you think they need a D man? Because what about the Tampa's Lindholm thing? And you know, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not I'm not buying it. I mean. If they can get somebody that they don't have to give up a lot for, it's 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 not a big deal in my eyes. But I just I don't see you're, you're you have too many defensemen right now. You can't get Zach Jones in the lineup. You can't get Nils Lundqvist in the lineup. I know those guys are rookie and, and they like their veteran presence, and that's what they have Nemeth for. And to me, Nemeth definitely had some hiccups earlier in the season, but I think he's been pretty steady since he came back. So are you going to go out and give up an asset to get a guy who's like maybe slightly a tiny bit yeah. better than Nemeth, but in the long run, you don't need, I, I don't see the defenseman thing as being, as being a need right now. Their top four is set. We know he does not want to change it. Fox and Lindgren, Miller, Truba. That's your top four going into the playoffs. Schneider and- is, is, in, is a lock on that third pair and Schneider's a lock on that third pair and they like Nemeth in there. So I, I just don't see that as a need. And when we're talking about, you know, you don't want to surrender too much of your assets at this point, you know, you want to keep them in your back pocket, especially if you're only looking at rentals and we know how tight the cap space is next, next season. I, I just don't see why you would go out and get a defenseman. Defense has not been the issue for this team. They, they've had these these runs where we see that they get a little leaky and they give up too right. many of those great A's that Gallant talks about. But you got, you got the best goalie in the world. You've got one of the deepest uh, systems as far as defenseman prospects in the league. The glaring need for this team is that they are not getting Jump enough front. scoring outside yeah. of their big three forwards. Outside of Panarin, Mika, and, and Kreider, you're not getting enough offense. So I think if you're going to do anything that is going to clearly benefit this team, especially when it comes to their five on five play, you have to lengthen your forward lines. That to me is the glaring need. And I think it would be a mistake to chase defensemen when, when clearly we all see that this team needs forwards. I don't know. Do you feel differently? No, no, no. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm a, I'm a hundred percent with you on that. I mean, you know, I'm just, I, you know, I listen, I read what everybody else reads and I see that uh, they're in the, they're in the mix to get Hampus Lindholm and, you know, and I'm like, ah, okay, but 
The only the only thing that I would say, the only caveat is that, you know, and I think Nemeth, you're right. Nemeth did not start well and he had some stuff going on. I mean, he obviously his wife was very pregnant and uh, it sounds like it, it was a, a difficult ending to that pregnancy. Thankfully, um, she delivered a healthy baby boy and, and he's very happy about that. But, I, you know, but that weighs on a guy and, you know, you just went through this. Um, you know, having, you know, your, your little guys coming up on a year, right? So, I mean, a year ago or a year and a half ago, you, you, you know, you were in that spot. So, you know, that is a thing, you know, people just, these guys aren't robots, you know, I mean, if stuff is happening in their lives, they're not necessarily going to be able to put that completely out of the mix um, and, and just focus on their job when they're, when they're playing for those two and a half hours. But the other thing too is, in the early part of the season, he was playing with, with Lundqvist, right? So, I mean, his job was to kind of groom Lundqvist and bring him along. Well, if Lundqvist wasn't ready, then, then, then that tells me a little bit that, you know, maybe, maybe that, you know, Nemeth was kind of having to carry him a little bit. Maybe he was trying to do a little bit too much. Who knows? And then the COVID thing, like, you know, he gets COVID and he, and he said, uh, you know, he told us, yeah, you know, he was affected by it. He had after effects, you know, it affects everybody differently. And, you know, some guys are able to plug in, plug right back in, especially with the, you know, the Omicron variant. I know, you know, um, you know, a lot of these guys were able to come back in and it was like they never left. You know, they, they missed five days. They missed a couple of games and they were back in and they were 100 percent. And it didn't apparently go that way for Nemeth. So anyway, the point being, he's had some issues, some off ice issues that may have affected him in the first half of the season. But as you said, He's playing really well now. I mean, he scored that, you know, he scored two goals since he's been back, basically. And that last one, you know, that wraparound that goes behind the net, reverses, comes back around and and a backhand wraparound is not something that I expected to see from him. So how much better are you going to do than than him? Now, the only the only caveat that I would say is that he is signed for two years after this. So and you're going to have cap issues. So, uh, you know, if you had an opportunity to get a guy that maybe, you know, like the Lindholm thing, I could see you have the cap space. Now he's expiring. If you can send Nemeth back in a trade um, and then, you know, get Lindholm and let him walk, then you, you kind of free up that cap space for next year when you're going to be tied on cap space. And then, you know, but that would depend on if, if you think Matthew Robertson is ready to come in, or if you're then going to go out and get another veteran guy, say a, a $1 million guy or something like that. So, there's permutations that you can, you can look at, but I, I am with you hundred percent. I don't think that that's a priority for that. Yeah, no. I, and, and you know what? I think the Lindholm thing and some of that stuff is probably more speculation. You know, this is the time of year where speculation is going to run rampant and, and it, uh, getting rid of Nemeth's salary for next season is definitely an appealing thing because of how tight the cap situation is going to be. I, I, I would not be surprised if that's something that they explore, especially in the off season, I just, uh, unless you're getting a top, top defenseman and to do that, you're going to have to give up those prime assets when we know that forward, particularly right wing and center are right. bigger, are, right. are much bigger needs. I, I, just, yeah. I just, I just don't see it to me. To me, it's got to be a forward and knowing that the likelihood right now is that rentals although you know the strome thing plays into it we can get we, we've talked i've talked about that on the show before but whether it's a rental or not forward is obviously the need right now and i think that this they got to give them at least one guy to make the lineup look longer and more complete and then 
you know, if you want to go for a splashier addition in the offseason, maybe that's a better time for it. I don't know. But I think they're looking into both. I think they're looking at big names. I think they're looking at small names right now. And it's going to come down to the wire and it's going to come down to how much can jury stomach giving up. But I think that they they feel like this team has earned the right to, to have the best chance possible when they get to the playoffs, because you, you, as much as we think this team is going to contend for the next however many years, nothing is a given. What's a given right now is, you know, they're going to the playoffs. So give them a, even just a slightly better chance at winning. I think that that would be appreciated and that would be the right thing to do. So here's here's my question to you. And, and we had <laughs> I, I rather enjoyed our back and forth on this in Minnesota. What do you think about the backup goalie spot? Do you think that they need an upgrade there? Like um, if, if they could swap Georgiev for somebody who's played more and played better. I definitely think that they're, I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way that they, they've looked into trading Georgiev. There's no, I don't think anybody that's like not a secret around the league or anything. No, no, certainly not. But I, it, it wouldn't shock me if it doesn't happen now. And then they just end up letting him walk or trading him for very little in the summer. And yeah, I don't I don't think upgrading the backup spot is a huge need. I think if they traded Georgiev, it would probably just end up being Kincaid stepping up. And and, and truth be told, how many games are they going to have left after the trade deadline? 20, 21, 19, 19. Yeah, they'll have 19 games left after the trade deadline. You know, the backup might play five, six, seven, eight of those games. And then in the playoffs, your, your backup is not going to see the ice. And if your backup right. has if your backup has to see the ice, it's probably that's not. Problem. Yeah, that's a problem. So I don't think they need to upgrade the backup spot, but I, I do think that they would be open to trading Georgiev at the trade deadline. I, I, I don't see why you wouldn't if you could get something for him, because ultimately the longer you let you wait and it gets to the summer and you have to make the decision about letting him walk, they're going to let him walk because they can't keep that salary on the books. No. They, they need no. a cheap goalie. They're going to need a cheap backup next year. Who that's going to be, I don't know whether it's a veteran. I don't think they have enough faith in a guy like Huska or Wall yet, but that's going to be a problem for them next year that they're going to have to figure out. Like we need a trustworthy backup, but we can't pay them much. So, <laughs> so yeah. So what do we, what do we do here? You know? Yeah, no, I, I think that, uh, that, and that, I think ultimately that was the, the disagreement that you and I had was, was we didn't, didn't agree on how much value Georgiev would have to teams now. Um, now, you know, that said, I think he looked, you know, he might have helped himself a little bit last night. Um, I, th- I thought he was fine. Good, even. He made some really good saves. Um, Only 20 think- saves, but he did He did face some pretty, I mean, especially Zegris. Zegris got in behind the defense a couple times and tested yeah, him. How is that happening, though? I mean, he's, how- he's good, He's good, man. He's good. How does that guy get behind the defense? I don't, he, I don't know. He's, he's nifty with the puck, man. He was. I was impressed with him last night. Um, but... Yeah, I, I think, th- listen, I don't disagree with you that, that Georgiev doesn't have a lot of value right now. I don't think the Rangers are getting anything of value for him in a trade, but I do wonder if teams will look at, okay, when this guy played, was the starter in December when Igor was hurt, he had a 935 save percentage. Yes, no, so, no, definitely. So a team could look at it and say, listen, we're not going to acquire him as our no doubt about it, number one, but he's a guy who we think maybe could be a viable starter. And there's some teams out there with, with crappy goaltending situations. Like I'm not saying teams are going to look at Georgiev and say, wow, this guy is like one of the better starters in the league. That's not the no, case, obviously. No, certainly not. But there could be a team that has a bad goalie situation. That's like, well, let's see if maybe if we bring him in in a competitive situation and we give him a chance to get on a roll, if he can do it. So 
I, I don't think there's no value, but I also think teams can read the tea leaves and they know that the Rangers aren't going to keep him. So I wouldn't offer anything significant right now, knowing that you might be able to get it for pretty much nothing in the off season. So I, it's, it will be tough for them to trade him. And if they do, it's probably going to have to be for like a late round pick. So, so let me ask you this. Let, let, let me change it, change the, uh, the look here. What do you think about in terms of what they might be willing to give up in, in any trades? Like who do you think is untouchable and who do you think is touchable? Mm. Oh, un- untouchable. I-, I don't think that this is the, t- if you were going to explore trading one of your young forwards and I, you know, Lafreniere is not going anywhere, but even if, you know, right. be, it, w- if they were Great. to explore trading Kako, now is not going to be the time for that. That would be over the Great. summer. And-, and that's still probably unlikely anyway. Heedle, uh, again, they're looking to add right now, not subtract. So you could have the, I think at the end of the season, you do need to have a serious conversation about Philip Heedle. The inconsistency, the ups and downs, he's going through an up right now, but we've seen a lot of downs coming out of these spurts. You know, is he a piece of the long-term puzzle? Do you want to move forward with him as your third line center? Does he have the potential to be more? Does he need to be moved to the wing? Whatever it may be. He's a guy I think that's owed 2.3 million next year. So if you determine that he's not a good fit in your lineup, it might make sense to move him in the summer. So I think Hedl's a guy that they would entertain trade offers for. And I think they have in the past but right now doesn't quite feel like the right time for it. For me, again, you want to add, not subtract at the trade deadline. The off season is when you might reassess all that. The prospect wise, I think we, we've seen that Schneider is their, their most valued guy among the D prospects. So I don't think they want to trade him obviously. And Othman has risen as the number one forward prospect. So I don't think they want to trade him, but I think pretty much any other prospect beyond those guys, they would be open to discussing. There's different levels to it. Are you talking about a Tomas hurdle or are you talking about some third line guy, you know? So, so, but I, I think that they would be open and I think they need to be proactive about before these guys, I wrote this this week, depreciate in value. You can't just hold right. Lundquist and right. Jones and Robertson right. forever. At some That's point, you're point. at some point you're going to have to deal at least one, maybe two of those guys. And is is now the time or is the summer the time? I don't think you can wait much longer than that. So the D prospects to me are at the top of the list of things that you're offering to people. And and you can almost go to teams and say, you know, Schneider's our number one guy. You're not touching him, but you can kind of take well, your pick. You the, yeah, you could kind of take your pick of these other guys. Now it varies, you know. Jones and Lundquist, I think, have more value than Robertson. So Robertson might be considered more of a B-level guy. Jones and Lundquist are more B-plus A-level guys. So it all varies. But I think to me, you got to look at the trade in the D prospects. And then, you know, the forwards in behind Othman in, in the prospect pecking order, I think those guys could be available as well. I mean, obviously, we know they like I love Cooley. my man Will Cooley, though. We know and they really like him in the organization. Brett Berard is a guy who I think has really moved up in that pecking order as well. Obviously those guys, I think they'd rather not touch, but I think in the right deal, I mean, Cooley and Berard, I'm not going to classify them as untouchable by any stretch. And we know the guy they'd like to shop is Kratzoff, but who knows if they'll be able to do that now. That's a whole murky situation in and of itself, but it's, it's interesting. They got these pieces and you can't hold them forever. I get, you know, people that are saying, hold them for the off season. You might need to go after a center. They, they, they might need to replace Ryan Strom. There's no doubt about that, but, you got all this stuff. You you, you 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 can't keep it all forever. And right now you got a good team that you know has flaws. So try to fix those flaws right now within reason. That that's my position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I mean, that's a that's that's a good that's a good point. That whole you can't, you know, guys 
can't just stay in the minors forever because then they just become guys that are minor leaguers. Yes. You know, you need to move them before they become minor leaguers. You need yes. to move them while they're still prospects. Yep. All right, Colin, I know you got other stuff to do. I got to record the rest of this thing too. So I'm going to let you go. We appreciate the time. Uh, you know, I think it's kind of, I think it's fun again to bring a different perspective from somebody who your job, just like mine is to just watch this team all the time. So we have different opinions, but I think we share some similar opinions on certain stuff as well. And then for the, I think it's kind of fun for the fans to hear about some of the behind the scenes stuff too. So we appreciate the time as always. And I will see you again in like a couple hours. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then, and we'll do this again next year on March 16th. I'll put in my calendar. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, people. It's been a busy afternoon. I kind of thought this was going to be a chill afternoon. I actually wasn't really planning on writing today, just focusing on the podcast after practice, but here we are how to write up the story on the Vetrano trade, and now still monitoring stuff. And actually, little breaking news, by the time you hear this, it won't be breaking anymore. But Pierre Lebrum and now Chris Johnston are reporting that Tomas Hurdle, a name that we've talked about before on this podcast, it appears is agreeing to an eight-year extension with the San Jose Sharks for it looks like Chris is saying in the eight million dollar per year range. I don't know if it's exactly eight, a little more, a little less, something around that number. A number that the Rangers would have never been able to afford to give him, which was the primary concern when it came to going out and acquiring him. Yes, he would have looked great as a second line center. Yes, I think there's a fair argument that he would have been an upgrade over Ryan Strome. And I think had the Rangers had more cap flexibility, they probably would have been in more posi- a better position, I should say, to really make a push. Now, ultimately, the Sharks want to keep him, so they probably wouldn't have traded him anyway. But the Rangers, with the amount of cap space that we've talked about that they're going to have next year, they can't pay anybody $8 million a year. The, the days of $8 million a year contracts for them are over, at least for a little while. They did it with Panarin. They did it with Fox. They did it with Mika. They've given other guys contracts that are a little below that, but sizable. And right now, they're not going to be able to go much more than, as we've talked about, five or maybe at most six million for whoever their second line center ends up being. So Hurdle was out of their price range as far as a long-term thing and doesn't even end up being an option as a rental because the Sharks were able to get that deal done with him. So that's a, that's some interesting news. Definitely takes one of the top targets off the board, not just for the Rangers, but for any team that was looking to acquire a forward at the deadline. And so with that, we're going to dive into your Twitter questions. Now, I'm going to be honest. I am just looking at these now just because I'm scrambling and trying to get a bunch of stuff done. Oh, a chicken parm question. We'll get back to that one. I definitely wouldn't mind talking about some chicken parm. Jeffrey Brauner asks... Gallant seems invested in getting the most out of Heedel. Recently, Zabanajad comparison, other comments, and it actually seems to be working. Do you have any other insight aside from what he has said publicly? Well, I do think, and many of you have observed, and Gallant made a point of mentioning it after the Tuesday win over the Ducks, that Heedle has been better in recent games. And you just heard me talk about it with Colin a little bit. It's been this roller coaster thing with him where he has these stretches where you're like, wait, is he figuring it out? And it doesn't always last. So 
We'll see what happens if this one lasts. But I do think that Gallant has really been pushing him to become a high effort, a little more physical, more two-way elements in his game kind of player. He wants him to be a more hardworking player, and he believes that if you put those hardworking elements into your game, when you have the speed and the skill and the natural gifts that Hedl has, that that is going to have the makings of a real impact player for you. So maybe Gallant's message is finally getting through to him. Those meek comparisons, we talked about that, I think, on a previous episode and how those were interpreted. Hedl, in some ways, almost seemed to take those, not as an affront, but as a little bit of a like, hey, I get what you're saying. Meek is a guy that I admire a lot, but I'm my own player. And and maybe that's fueled him a little bit. Maybe that served as a little motivation because based on his tone when he was answering those questions, that was a sense I got. I think there's still a competitive edge in him that says, I want to prove the doubters wrong. And maybe that fuels him. Maybe Maybe that helps him take his game to the next level. We'll see how it plays out. But I do think that he has been playing better recently. I do think that a big part of that is the line mates. And this line with Goudreau and Brodzinski has looked like a pretty good fit for him. And it's given him a little bit more to work with than he did earlier in the season. Now, Vetrano, I think, is definitely going to factor into there. I also think that there's a possibility they bring in somebody else who could help upgrade that line. And if you really figure out the best combination for that line, if you can significantly upgrade it and surround Heedle with wingers who help support his game in a positive way, then maybe you do unlock a lot of that potential. Actually, Bradzinski was talking about it earlier today, saying, listen, Goudreau and I are guys that like to skate, like to play hard, and like to forecheck. And, and he said that he thinks that opens things up in the middle for Heedle to work and do his thing. And it also helps to have players that when you pass to them have finishing ability. And Bradzinski had that nice goal on Tuesday night. Vetrano's a guy who, like we said, has some finishing ability from what we're hearing. So maybe all that stuff will help Hedl. As far as behind the scenes, listen, he's a guy who is one of the last guys on the ice at practice every day. I saw him actually at practice toward the end today working on face-offs with Mika. Face-offs are still an issue for Hedl, but it's something that I do see him constantly working at. And physically, as far as strength and speed and keeping himself fit, He's definitely a guy who noticeably, to me, puts in a lot of extra effort in those areas. So I think all those things, he has the makings. We've talked about this before. If they end up trading him, and I do think there will come a time where they have to make that decision, probably this offseason, I think, is going to be the make-or-break moment as far as the Rangers and Heedle. I'm still not 100% sure which way I personally would lean, but I, I do have a little bit of a fear in me if I'm a Rangers fan of if you trade him somewhere else, does he d- d- does he pop all of a sudden? Does he turn into this player that you thought you were getting when you drafted him and he, he made such a quick NHL debut? So Heedle, arrows pointing up right now, but again, we've seen this before, so let, let's see how long it lasts. Alternate captain number 126 wants to know, if Strom contra- contract talks break down, could you see the Rangers going after Dylan Larkin and kick the second line center can down the road a year? Would jury be cautious dealing with, yeah, with Steve Eiserman, who tends to fleece some teams? I, I think juries will do business with anybody if he felt like it was a good deal for the Rangers. 
Dylan Lark is an interesting name because I do think that he would be really appealing as a potential replacement for Strom at second line center. I believe he's under contract next year for a little bit over $6 million. So that's a little bit more than the Rangers would ideally want to spend, but it's something that maybe they could squeeze in. And we're starting to hear more and more that the Red Wings are are, are looking to, to make some deals and, and continue with this rebuild path that they've been on. So Larkin is a guy that it wouldn't shock me if the Rangers had some interest in. I hadn't heard his name a whole lot. I, I honestly didn't think that he was necessarily available. I believe he's the captain for the Red Wings and he's having a really good season. But if they're willing to trade a guy like that, I definitely think you have to at least make the call. So... Yeah, that, that would be a guy who I think would intrigue me if I was the Rangers for sure. The Strom thing, and I see as I'm scrolling here, scrolling down here more, Eric Voss wants to know, are there is there any information on what's going on with the Strom negotiations? There's a couple Strom questions in here. I will tell you this. Anything can happen in these negotiation situations. We saw it with Chris Kreider a few years ago where it came right down to the wire and the Rangers made a deal with him on the deadline day to keep him as a guy who was heading toward unrestricted free agency. Strom right now, I wrote this in my column on Monday. It seems to me that the talks have cooled. I think in the fall, the Rangers had come to this internal conclusion that if they could get him in their price range, that five to $6 million range that we've talked about before, that that was something that they would be open to doing and that they were interested in, in whether or not they could get that deal done during the season. But recently, I do not get the impression that they've been close on anything. As I wrote on Monday, I think those talks have cooled off a little bit. That could change in an instant. But if I were taking my best guess right now, I do not see them heading in the direction of a likely contract with Strom before the deadline. What would that mean for his future in New York? Well, that's going to be a lingering question because if they don't sign him before the deadline, as I've written about before, then you you go into the offseason as sort of an open market situation. And I I don't know if the Rangers are going to be in a position to get into a bidding war in an open market situation for Ryan Strom. Another thing to keep your eye on is, do they make a trade between now and the deadline that would bring in a center who's under contract beyond the season? Because if if they do that, then I think that's sending a strong signal that they're not convinced or not feeling great about their chances of keeping Strom. So that, that's what I would keep an eye on moving forward. Do they bring in a guy who's under contract beyond this year? If they do, then I think that that probably signals that there's a decent chance that they're going to move on from Strom. If they stick to rentals, then that keeps the door open for Strom. But if the extension isn't done by this time next week, then you're sort of starting to think, okay, you know, maybe they're going to end up moving in a different direction because I, again, I do not see them going into a unrestricted free agency summer and bidding with other teams and, and going up higher than they'd like to, as far as their price range goes. As I've said, I think jury draws his hard line in the sand. I think they went to Strom's side with numbers that they were comfortable with. And if that's not something that's agreeable for, for Strom, then we'll see where this thing heads. But I, right now, I'm not so sure what the future holds for him. I think it's it's very much up in the air at this point. All right. Let's see. Anything else here? We've already hit on a few different things, but let's see if there's maybe a topic that I want to make sure that I sneak in here. 
Ah, this is a good place to end it, I think, because this this is a question that I think pops up in the feed every now and then, and and it's something that I don't know if I've really addressed fully on the podcast and and is, I think, a good message for especially some of the Twitter crowd out there. So Robert Jordan wants to know, why isn't there more inquiry into Barron's benching by the New York Rangers beat writers? Yes, you have asked, Vince, but no one has pressed Gallant on this issue. Is this just an example of NHL beat writers not pressing teams like traditional journalists do on a subject? Is that against the code? The code. Well, 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 this is a funny question here. So, (laughs) you know, there's there's a lot of different points I could make on this. Number one, as far as making my own thoughts on Baron Clear, and that's that's essentially what this question is saying. You're saying that you don't think Barron should be benched. You think he should play more. And you think that I should reflect that view and that I should make that clear in my line of questioning or in my work or in my journalism, as you say. So if you followed my work, you would know that I wrote an entire column maybe a month ago, maybe it was January. I don't know. It was sometime this year for sure, where I basically questioned what the Rangers are doing with Barron, said that he should be in the lineup, raised all kinds of issues that I have with it. It was like a eight, nine hundred word column that was almost exclusively devoted to questioning why Morgan Barron hasn't gotten more of a look. So as far as me expressing my own opinion on a matter, the best place for me to do it is through what I write or through this podcast, through forums like this. As far as my questioning with Gallant goes, there is no code, there are no rules, there are no limits as far as what I can ask, but there is also nuance to these situations, and I think that that is what, no offense Robert, I'm not just picking on you, there's a lot of people who ask questions like this. I think that is what a lot of people fail to to realize in these kind of situations. I have repeatedly, in a variety of different ways, asked Gallant, about Barron. Why isn't he playing more? What do you need to see out of him more? What have you seen that's concerning about the way he's played? And actually, on this most recent road trip, I thought he gave his most insightful answer so far. And listen, most insightful, you have to take that with a grain of salt, because the more that I've come to understand the man and the way that he functions as a coach, I've told you guys this before, this guy bends over backwards through these media sessions to protect his players. He is not going to openly criticize or bash or raise all of his concerns about the weaknesses in that particular's player in that particular player's game. So that is why a lot of times you know that even when you ask the question, it's going to be a little bit of a fruitless effort because number 1 He's not going to make his lineup decisions based on the questions that I ask. If you think that I have that much power, I'm sorry. I wish I did, but I don't. And number two, knowing what his priorities are when he's giving these answers, do you really want to ask the question just to be able to say, hey, look, I asked the question when you know that you're going to get an answer that lacks substance? You're not really doing yourself any favors in that situation, and there's really no positive end game or result that's going to come from it. Now, with that said, When he makes questionable lineup decisions, I always ask him, trust me, 
If you guys think that I'm sitting there and I'm nervous about, I don't even know what you could think that I'm nervous about. I've had people say stupid stuff like, oh, they're going to take away your access. Like, no, they're not going to, they're not going to tell me that I can't talk to the coach because he didn't like my questions one day. If they did that, trust me, there would be columns and rants and tweets and podcasts and all kinds of stuff where I would be throwing a fit about that. I would not be quiet about any situation where I felt like they were trying to restrict my access because they didn't like a question that I asked or something along those lines. So that is not a fear that, that crops into my head. Back to the more the Morgan Barron specifically point, Gallant actually did on this road trip, if you were paying attention, give what I thought was the the most or the biggest hint that we've seen him give so far as to why he hasn't been reluctant to play Barron. And he said that on certain shifts, Barron to him looks like he's in awe. So essentially what he was saying by saying he looks like he's in awe is that he is not playing decisively enough, that he's he, he looks like he's kind of just floating around out there instead of playing aggressively or playing the way that Gallant wants him to play. And, and he said that that's something that he's talked to him about. So whether you think he's right or wrong, my personal position, again, I've written a whole column about it, is that I think that he should be playing more. But whether you think it, it's right or wrong, that's Gallant's decision. And, and as far as pressing, I, I just listed off a few different ways that I've asked the question. If you want me to come out there and say, oh my God, I can't believe you're playing Greg McKaig over Morgan Barron. Why the hell would you do that? Like, like that's not going to get me anywhere. What do you think his response is going to be if I phrase a question that way? And listen, there's an understanding that certain questions I ask him are going to piss him off. I've asked questions before knowing that he doesn't want to answer them and, and that he's not happy about the question. You guys have probably seen it if you've watched some of these pressers. So that doesn't deter me in one bit. But whether or not I'm going to get a substantive answer or whether or not I'm going to get a productive answer does factor in. So when I ask him, why aren't you playing Barron? Or another question I've asked recently is, would Barron be better served to go to the AHL and get more consistent ice time? You guys, I know a few of you have heard me ask that one to him a couple different times now. Those are more questions that I believe asked in those ways are going to get a response that gives us information. I'm not interested in responses that are just going to make him get angry or clam up. I'm interested in responses that are going to give us information. I want to be able to explain to you, the readers, the listeners, why he is thinking in these ways, why he is making these decisions. And therefore, I'm going to ask questions that try to provide insight into those things. But I'm not going to sit there and argue with him over his lineup decisions. He gets to make those decisions. I get to question those decisions. But when he gives me an answer as to why he made that decision, I can't sit there and say, well, I think that answer is wrong. <laughs> that's that's not only unprofessional, but that's not journalism. If you think that journalism is telling other people the way that you think that they should do things, that's not the way that it goes. Journalism is about asking valid questions to draw information. And that is what I do. I try to go into every one of these press conferences thinking about what's on my mind in regards to the team, what is on all of your minds. Trust me, I, I, I try to keep my finger on the pulse of what you guys are talking about and the questions that you guys have. Sometimes they're not questions that I think are relevant in that in that moment, and so I don't ask them. But there are definitely times where you guys are thinking along the same lines as me, 
and and I try to address those topics in a variety of different ways, one of them being asking questions. But <laughs> there is no code or anything along those lines about you're not supposed to ask these questions or you're not, you know, you're not supposed to press in this way. When you say press, like you're basically saying you want me to get into a confrontation and tell him that I think he's wrong because every other way to find out what do you like about Baron? What do you not like about him? What did he not do in this situation? Why aren't you giving him more time in the AHL? Why aren't you giving him more time in the NHL? All of those different ways of asking the question have been asked. You know, if you don't like the answer, I'm sorry, I, I can't change that. And again, I can express opinion in different forms about why I might disagree with that decision. There's going to be times where you see things maybe get a little heated or where you see that he might not like a line of questioning. That happens quite frequently. But you also have to know when it's it's not your place to tell him in a setting like that, I think your decision is wrong. That's not That's not how this works, and that is certainly not journalism. Journalism is about being objective. And the most objective way that I could do this job is ask the relevant questions. If I feel that there's a relevant follow-up, which I often do, ask that. But you, you got to, at the end of the day, even if you disagree with his answers, you have to be respectful of his answers. You know, we're all, we're all professionals in that room. We all try to act professional. I'm sure his favorite thing isn't dealing with us every day. He's made plenty of jokes about that. But I also think that over the course of the season, you can feel and see more mutual respect. And that's because I think he respects that not just me, but all the other reporters are paying close attention to what's going on and trying our best to keep things on topic and keep things relevant. And and I do believe that there's been times. I mean, he said it where, hey, I read what so-and-so wrote and and I thought it wasn't a bad idea or I thought it was interesting or whatever. He's actually admitted to that, which I find kind of interesting. It's not something that David Quinn really ever did, but it's not going to be this, this, Hey, uh, this guy sucks. Why are you playing him? You know, that that's not the right way to, that's not the right way to do it. There are ways to ask those questions that might not look like pressing to you, but it's it's getting the information that we want to get out of him or at least as much as he's willing to give and he can only give as much as he's willing to give i can't force him to give more substance on an issue if that's not something he wants to talk about and he is certainly not the type of coach who's going to be throwing his his players under the bus very often that's for sure all right that is going to do it this has been an extensive episode an interesting episode by the time we get back next week we're going to know exactly all Everything that happened at the trade deadline, we'll be able to break that down and analyze it. I'm definitely going to look to have someone on the show next week who who could give us some insight into whoever the Rangers' biggest addition ends up being, whether it's Vetrano or somebody else. So that's something to look forward to next week. But right now, time for me to unwind. I feel like it's been go, go, go for a few weeks. (laughs) I got five more days of this until we get to the trade deadline. So I'm going to try to rest up tonight and get ready for what could be a wild few days. I hope you guys stay locked in with the coverage. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week, and I will talk to you soon.